Have you ever found yourself in a situation where something you thought was a sure bet totally failed to come through? Maybe it was the time you applied to that school that you were sure you would get into, but you didn't. Or the time you, you took a huge gamble on a relationship that you thought would be perfect. And it wasn't the time that you um, leapt into a, a work proposal or an investment opportunity that you thought couldn't miss, but it did. The time you researched, uh, you know, the purchase of a house or a car or something else only to discover it was a piece of garbage, even though you thought you had done your due diligence. Maybe, just maybe, you thought that on paper the Dallas Cowboys were a Super Bowl team only to discover halfway through the season that they are a two and six flaming dumpster pile of garbage. Have you ever thought that something was a sure bet and you went all in and it just didn't come through? And what do you do when that thing is God? See, that's where we're at in the story of the Exodus. Moses and Aaron, his brother, have come back to Egypt to do what God has said, to demand that Pharaoh let Israel go free from slavery. And they come back convinced that God is about to do something miraculous. God has spoken clearly to both of them. The last three weeks have been about God talking to Moses about what God is going to do through Moses. God has talked to Aaron. He's, God's given them commands. God has given them authority. God has sent them and told them what to do. God has sent them back to meet with the elders of Israel and perform the miraculous signs that God gave them to do to convince the elders that God had spoken. And they come back and they do the signs and the signs happen just like God said. And the elders believe Moses and Aaron just like God said they would. And then all the people worship because God has sent Moses and Aaron to set them free and God's going to do something amazing. And so Moses and Aaron, it says in Exodus chapter five, verse one, go to Pharaoh. It says afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what Yahweh, Israel's God says, let my people go so that they can hold a festival for me in the desert. But Pharaoh said, who's this Yahweh? whom I'm supposed to obey by letting Israel go. I actually don't know this Yahweh, and I certainly won't let Israel go. They march in with all the confidence in the world that God is going to, that, that Pharaoh's going to let God's people go, and Pharaoh's like, Yahweh? Never heard of him. Who's Yahweh? Which, by the way, is one of the central questions that runs all the way through the book of Exodus. Who is this God of Israel that is rescuing the world? But Pharaoh says, sarcastically, who's Yahweh? I'm not beholden to a God that I've never heard of before. No, uh, go back to work. See, Moses and Aaron walked into Pharaoh's throne room, having forgotten what God said in Exodus chapter four, where it says, Yahweh said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, make sure that you appear before Pharaoh and do all the amazing acts I've given you the power to do. But I'll make him stubborn so that he won't let the people go. He won't 
let the people go. We'll talk about that phrase, I'll make him stubborn in the new year when we pick up the book again. But God's already told Moses, this isn't going to happen. You're going to go and demand that this happen. This isn't going to happen. It's not, at least not at first. But see what Moses and Aaron do, Moses and Aaron do what we always do. And that is we scrub that part of uh, the story out of our memory. Because we prefer to believe that if we're people who devoutly love God and devoutly love each other and who deeply want to, are committed to participating in God's work and doing it in God's way, which is the Jesus way, if, if we're those kinds of people, then life should go well for us, right? I remember hearing it all the time, right around the time my mom died. People would say, why would this happen to someone like Ev? She died at 64 of a brain tumor, way too early. And the idea was, people would say, she loved God so much. She loved her family so much. She loved the community so much. She was such a good person. She was a part of God's mercy and justice coming in the world. Why would God allow this to happen to her? The implication is, if she had not been a good person, then I can totally understand why you get a brain tumor at 64. But but why she was so such a good person, her life should go better than that. God owes her that. And I think that's often, we choose to believe that if we are devout to God, that life ought to go easy for us. And then so when it doesn't, we get mad at God. Why are you doing this to me? And God is not doing anything to you. But life isn't easy for anybody. Certainly not for Israel, because Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do that. But then actually Pharaoh goes further. And it's, and it's even worse than Pharaoh not letting them go. Pharaoh turns the screw of oppression and makes it worse. He turns the screw on their work world and says, okay, you continue to be responsible to fill the same daily quota of bricks that you're making every day. Just now I will not supply you the raw materials of straw in order to make it happen. You have to find your own straw. This is what oppressive regimes do when they're trying to stomp out a freedom movement. They turn the screw of oppression. They make the work harder and the work hours longer and the working conditions worse to try and make the people so exhausted that they can't summon the energy to resist. And they try and stamp out every last bit of hope so the people just despair and stay stuck where they are. But he does worse. He turns the screw, not just circumstantially, but internally. He says, you know what your problem is? Your problem is that you're lazy. He blames it on them. He assigns to them a character defect that somehow makes them responsible for not being able to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. It is the racist favorite tool. Where do you think the phrase lazy Indian comes from? It's their problem because there's something defective about you that's not true about me. It makes them feel ashamed of themselves. But that's not all. He turns the screw on their solidarity. He assigns Israelite taskmasters over Israelite work crews so that it's now Israelites beating on Israelites when daily quotas aren't being met because those supervisors know that they're going to get beaten on by their Egyptian supervisors if their work crew fails. But now what you have is Israelites fighting with Israelites. It's a divide and conquer technique that works every time. And it worked here. 
the Israelites start blaming Moses. They come to him and say, you, it's your fault. You meddled. You stuck your nose where it doesn't belong. You tried to be the solution. And all you've done is make things worse. And they say, they say, may God see and judge what you've done. Which is a polite Hebrew way of saying, God damn you, Moses, for what you did to us. And Moses turns around and blames God. He says, you lied to me, God, because you told me you were the God who sees and hears and who cares about our pain and suffering. You told me you were the God who enters into our pain, who's brokenhearted over our brokenheartedness, and that you're the God who is on the move to rescue and save, and you're not. If you read the end of Exodus chapter 5, Moses says to God, you're the God who actually does nothing, or maybe even worse, You're the God who's abusing your people. You are actually doing evil to your people. You're responsible for the pain that we experience. He used the same word that gets used of Pharaoh's actions. God, Moses says, you're no better than him. And I wonder how many of us are living through those kinds of circumstances right now. What do you do when no matter how devoutly you try to orient your life towards God, not only does God fail to show up, but God actually makes it worse. What do you do? How do you hang on to hope when no matter how hard you try, things seem to keep going from bad to worse. That's what I think this story is about. And I think this passage would want to say to us four things. The first is this, remember who God is. Moses is yelling at God saying, you're evil. And this is how God responds in Exodus 6 verse 1. The Yahweh replied to Moses, now you will see what I'll do to Pharaoh. In fact, he'll be so eager to get them to go that he'll drive them out with his land, of his land by force. God also said to Moses, I am Yahweh. God takes Moses back to their first conversation in the desert three weeks ago and says, Moses, remember who I am. I am the God who sees and hears your cries of pain and and suffering and brokenness. I am the God who cares about what's happening and who enters into your suffering with you. And I am the God that is on the move to save you, to rescue you. You think I've been absent just because you can't see what I'm doing. But I'm telling you, I am doing more to rescue you right now than you could ever know. And one day you'll look back and see the, what I have done. The word Yahweh means I will continue to be whom I've always been. You can count on me if you have ever seen me show up in your life in the past then be prepared for me to show up in your life now. Because like the New Testament says about Jesus, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you're in a situation that no matter how devout you are at being loving God, no matter how much you try, it's only getting worse instead of getting better. Just remember who God is. Go read the gospel stories again and know that the God that is being revealed in Jesus is the God who loves you just the same. Remember who God is. Number two, remember what God 
has promised. Five times in this passage, God reminds Moses about what God has said God is going to do. Five times, God says, you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to demand that Pharaoh let my people go. And then I'm going to do this. I'm going to set them free and I'm going to rain down plagues on Egypt and I'm going to bring you to Canaan and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I'm going to. And God says, just remember the things that I've promised. In the New Testament, 1 John 4 verse 8, it says of Jesus that God's son appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the power of guilt and shame and judgment on your life through the radical gift of forgiveness. Jesus came to destroy the powerful grip of sin on your life. The ways we get stuck in patterns of unloving, self-centered, self-interested behavior. And, and God's, Jesus came to break the power of that by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus came to break the power of the brokenness in your soul by bringing you the beautiful gift of healing. Jesus came to break the power of the brokenness in your relationships by bringing love and reconciliation and joy. Jesus came to break the power of injustice and oppression in the world, whether political or economic or social or racist or patriarchal or homophobic. He came to break the power of injustice in the world until justice like a river and mercy and justice and the love of God cover the world like the waters cover the sea. That's what Jesus came to do. And the victory was won the day Jesus was raised from the dead. The game is already won. It's just not over yet. And Jesus will be faithful to do the things that Jesus said he will do. You just have to hold on to hope. Remember who God is. Remember what God has promised. Number three, remember who you are to God. There's this interesting moment between Moses and God in Exodus 6, 12. But Moses says to Yahweh, the Israelites haven't even listened to me. How can I now expect Pharaoh to listen to me? Except I, since I am, especially since I'm not a very good speaker. Apparently I'm not either. Nevertheless, Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron. Moses revisits this conversation that Annie talked about two weeks ago. God, I can't be this person that you need me to be because I don't have the ability. I don't have the talent. I don't have, I am not the kind of person that you need me to be in this moment. I'm the one who's failing. And I wonder sometimes in these moments when we're trying to be so devout, we're trying to cooperate with God to do God's work in God's way and it's not happening and things are going from bad to worse. Sometimes in those moments we doubt God, but sometimes in those moments we doubt ourselves. We say, who am I that God would do anything for me? What a screw up I am. I've messed this up. Look at this sin in my life. I don't deserve for God to do these things. God, I'm not the person that you need me to be. No wonder you're not showing up. And to me, the most beautiful word in this passage is the word nevertheless. Moses says to God, I'm just, I get it. I'm just a screw up. I'm just not the person that you're going to show up for. Nevertheless, God spoke to Moses and Aaron. It's as if the writer of the book of Exodus is saying, I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't, none of this matters because it's not about who you are and what you do. It's about who God is and what God does. Nevertheless, 
whatever you can say to me about who you are and why God has no business doing anything for you or with you. And my answer, the Bible's answer is nevertheless, here God is. Remember who God is. Remember what God has promised. Remember who you are to God. And remember who your community is, number four. Remember who your community is. Moses complains to God again and says, Moses replied to Yahweh, I'm not a very good speaker. Same conversation again. How is Pharaoh ever going to listen to me? Yahweh said to Moses, your brother Aaron will tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites out of his land. God says, fine. It's not about what you will do. I will give you a community of people who will be for you and with you and who will carry you through the places you can't go on your own. I think this is why it makes sense of why there's a gigantic genealogy in the midst of Exodus 6. I hope you read the text. Um, But if you didn't, the story gets interrupted by this massive genealogy of the life, the family life of Aaron. And you're like, why... Are all, there are all these names, and maybe you stumbled through them, maybe you skipped over them. But you're like, why are there all of a sudden all these names? And genealogies serve several purposes in the Bible, but one of them is to remind people what community you belong to. And Aaron, the purpose of that genealogy is to remind the reader that Aaron is the chief in the line of all of the high priests of Israel. That if there was anyone that was qualified to be used by God to be for Moses and with Moses, to act on behalf of Moses, to carry Moses through the places that Moses couldn't go on his own, it would be Aaron. Because you know what a priest is? A priest is someone who carries people into the presence of God and who carries the presence of God into the lives of people. And God has given you your own community, surrounded you with people who are for you and with you and who will act on your behalf and who will carry you through the things that you can't do on your own, who will be priests to you and who will carry you into the presence of God and who will bring the presence of God right into the midst of your life by their very presence and activity. Because that's the church. The New Testament says that the church is a kingdom of priests. A royal priesthood where every person is God's designated ambassador to be a priestly presence in each other's lives. So let the priests around you carry you into the presence of God and let them be the presence of God to you. What do you do when you're losing hope? Because no matter how devout you are, things just seem to go from bad to worse. You remember who God is. You remember what God has promised. You remember who you are to God. And you remember the commu- who your community is, the community of priests that God has given you. And I promise you, it won't make your life better. It won't fix all your problems. But you will rediscover hope.
the powerful presence of the absence of God. I don't know what your circumstance is today. I don't know what you lamented earlier in the service. I don't know in what place you feel that even though you are being so devout to God, God is failing to show up or God is doing nothing or God is making things worse. And you're asking yourself, how can I hang on to hope? I'm telling you, hope is there. God is doing more behind the scenes that you could possibly imagine, even though you can't see it. And one day you will look back on these days and you will see that God was faithful through the community of faith that, he, that God put around you. That mercy and justice rolled in your life. And so we're going to end this service the way we began it. With a song of crying out to God, saying, how long, God? How long in my life? How long in my soul? How long in my relationships? How long in our world will we fail to see mercy and justice roll and just bring your heart cry to God and cling to the hope? of the powerful presence of the absence of God. Let's sing together now.